You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Hello, welcome to a special infestation of coverage of one of, for one of us.net of the Annecy International Animation Film Festival. Um, I myself did not go, uh, so we have our great correspondent uh, from across the way, uh, Masiak here with, with me today. Hello, right. everybody. I previously did, uh, I think, like five time coverage of this festival for the website, but it was always written down. It was for first for Scott's Animated Anarchy, and the last time I covered it, it was for uh, Infestation in a written form, and it actually was a great one. I did for one of the presentation I did back there was for the Looney Tunes cartoons, you know, the new show, and actually like the creators of the show actually put it on Twitter. Yeah, if you guys want to know how important that coverage was for us, it actually shows up on the Wikipedia page for that Looney Tunes show. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. You were cited on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, but what happened is that not only the creator passed it on Twitter, but also the, this animation magazine from France actually wrote to me that, hey, can you, you actually do article about the Looney Tunes for us? So, you know, because we couldn't see it at the festival and we really want to write about it. It was like bling blank. It's like a French animation magazine. So I could be part of this and... What was really nice is that when I was at the festival this year, they had like a booth and they actually recognized me like, oh yeah, you did an article for us because we have your photo and I talked with them. They were like super cool people. So That's really, really nice. This is a festival that you've gone to quite a few times at this point. I was supposed to help you with some of it last year, but due to some uh, issues that they had with their site, I was unable to do that because that was the only time they've done it from afar. The problem was for the last two years is because of COVID, they have to do it like an online version. The thing about the festival is that entire town is invested in it. It's not like just a festival that takes place in like one building. They have like at least four or five theaters in that this town and they are all like part of the event. Like the Annecy, it's like a town next to the border between France and Switzerland. For me, it's like a perfect climate because it's like always really hot. It's green everywhere. It's really beautiful. It has like this really beautiful lake that's really clean and very shallow. You can go like 100 meters into the lake and you are still have water next to your belt. See, that would be very important for me because I actually don't know how to swim. <laughs> a lot of places really rely on festivals. Uh, here in Austin, we rely on, or not us, but the city itself relies on the South by Southwest one, which is a very, very major festival that you can listen to a lot of those coverages on oneofus.net uh, that Chris does with uh, the rest of us. But uh, yeah, we're here to talk about, you went this year again, uh, but you had a lot that you wanted to talk about for the, uh, the actual festival itself uh, before we started getting into any of the reviews. Because I really want to just describe the festival itself because it's actually amazing event. If somebody has a chance, this is again my seventh time there. It's again like the can of animation. Like it's a term that gets thrown around always. Basically everybody at the festival 
are either like involved in animation in some way, either are creators, animators, like producers, or, uh, you know, just people who are like really hardcore geeks. Like I met so many cool people who, yeah, he, you know, he's like a big animation fan and the more I talk with him, he's like, oh, actually I'm involved in this restoration of those old cartoons in my country, you know, and it's from all over the world. Basically a place that every time you stand in line, you just start a random conversation with somebody and it become a friendship for life and because you are, everybody's like this big, it's like me and you, everybody's like a big animation geek and I, I just met so many people That's who just geek out about everything. Like it's, the, it's a great little mecca for animation and that's one of the reasons I would love to go one of these days. I like the fact that it's also a place that every type of animation is welcome because I know, I just know so many people who can be like snobs about animation. Like I, I hate it either way. Like some people who only watch like those really profound artistic shorts, you know, and I know some people in my life who, oh, for them it's like stupid. Like why would you watch like some artistic experimental thing? Like what's the point of watching that stuff? You know, here are people who just love every form. They are like really passionate about it. And it's like a room for everything. So you can go to, for example, a presentation of those artsy shorts where it's just two two hours of animation from like all over the world. And it's experimental. It's different. It's strange. If I can give an example, if you, somebody who loved the first 10 minutes of Fantasia by Disney, Fantasia, you know, where it's just like classical music and you can just see shapes changing. If you love that stuff, this place will blow you away because it's just like, for a person, it puts me in my zen. You know, when I'm just sitting, oh. oh, they always have like a presentation of student shorts. But if you like more commercial stuff, they have uh, always screens of like TV competition animation. I didn't go this year, but they had like showing screenings on the big screen of Harley Quinn and Cophead. On the other hand, you can go to a presentation of like uh, animation for like little children where they just show you, you know, Dora the Explorer level type of stuff. Or I remember one year they had just a block of commercial animation from entire year and it was just like PSAs and one thing I really appreciated as far as screenings of like short go at the evening they do presentation of like adult animation so for example uh, they actually bring other other festivals like Spike and Mike's festival of animation it's like sick and twisted in the name and they just show you this like animation that is very in the vein of South Park and stuff like this but they are like shorts and this year we went to this present, at, again, it's like an evening screening at, at midnight. It's called, just simply called WTF animation. So they basically, the short that after you're watching them, you just go, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? And so literally the first short just has a guy, he's sitting on a street with a hammer and hitting his dick, you know? So, so you, you, you understand what level you are in for. And it goes like this for two hours of just those psychedelic. And some of them actually have like a good commentary. There is this one animation that's like deliberately done with very pixelized CGI art, like animation of, like, in the Chip and Dale movie when they go to the Uncanny Valley. It's like animation of that, but like on purpose, like very bad animation, and they all talk, and it's like a story where a guy and a woman go on a vacation, but they all talk like Alexas. So they have, like, this conversation where, like, this is my daughter. She likes finding problems so she can solve them. Oh, finding problems to solve them can teach you a lot of skills. 
yes, I used to also found problems to solve it when I was a child. And they talk like this, you know, just in those very expository dialogues, but they're like on vacation and it's constantly like showing photos on Instagram of every location they see. And it's actually people were just laughing how absurd it is. They have like a retrospective of old animation. Sometimes they are thematic. So for example, there was one year like a, it was called like rocking animation. Half of the presentation were like music videos. Like um, one, one I didn't know. It was like a by Metallica that has some animation, and actually it has like cameos by Beavis and Butthead and Soap Park Kids. Oh, wow. I didn't know it exists. And on that presentation, one of the shorts I discovered, which became one of my, just my favorite uh, shorts of all time, thousand three hundred CC. It's like a short okay. from two hundreds, and uh, it's about uh, this uh, big, large, hairy biker who lives next to this really fragile old lady and he needs some money to drink beer so he just steals a purse from her and as he's sitting in the bar and uh, basically going through her purse he finds some drugs and takes them with beer and uh, he has like just those visions of the old lady just going after him and trying to kill him and it just becomes more and more funny and more and more insane and the animation is like incredibly good you know it's for a short that's just like this shock humor it's actually and what is great is that does this fake out few times where you think the visions are over he's just like sitting in the bar again you know okay the you know the drugs were off it, and then it starts over over again and it's, it's another scenario with the old lady just trying to kill him i feel like i've you might have shown or not shown yeah i think you mentioned it to me once before and I remember really wanting to see that. I, I could have sworn I found it at one point, but I can't remember. Well, that's the thing about this animation festival. The more you bring it, the more you talk about it, the more I'm just very jazzed about the whole idea. Because animation is such hard work, no matter what level it is. Whether it's the you know the Nick Jr. side of things with Dora the Explorer, or whether it's the stuff like you said with Fantasia, where it's like Mickey Mouse being like, and then all the things came to life, and all the the greatest musicians made like things about it, like everything from the bottom to the top. There's so much love put into all of those animations. Because you obviously have like the large movies that come out every year in competition, and it's usually you know like um, movies made by the, like the greatest filmmakers of all time. But also you also have like a work in progress presentations from people. This year we didn't have one from Disney, which is a shame, but every year there's like at least one from Disney where we just go and they, a movie that's coming up soon, they show you basically like an early making of, they show you animatics for the movie and sometimes it will be a little bit different. Actually, I remember the last time we went to presentation for Ralph Breaks the Internet. And so they show us the scene with the princesses, like Vanellope, when she meets the Disney princesses. So they show us this scene, it was like really funny. And then, like, half a year later, I seen the actual movie, and I'm like, wait, like, half of those dialogues are different? They actually basically show us a different version? See, that's what, that's what I'm a big fan of behind-the-scenes stuff, is that a lot of animation can change so randomly, and sometimes you don't know why, and sometimes you'll find out somebody is like, I just thought this joke didn't work, or maybe I thought this other joke would have worked better. Yeah. Um, one of the best ways of seeing some of these are pretty rare. Uh, one of the most popular ones that exists is the alternate cut of Spider-Verse, which comes with the Blu-ray, which is really cool to watch. If, if anybody ever gets a chance to watch that, I highly, highly recommend that because it, it's like a whole completely different movie up until a certain point when you realize they finally finalized everything they needed at a certain point and then it sort of stays 
like that for the most part. There's still some different stuff as it progresses. But yes, um, I would love as much as I would love to talk animation all day, every day, especially as much as I would love to go to this festival so, so, so badly. We should probably start off with the uh, the first review that we have. Yeah, I just want to mention one more thing. Cool thing about this festival is that they also show animation from all over the world. And you know, sometimes it's like, a, again, like a retrospective where they... Oh, this year they are having Brazilian animation and they show you like, you know, basically shorts from Brazilian animation all over the years. But once a while there will be like a movie that, at least in Poland where I live, it doesn't come out ever. So you only can see it on this festival, like from Mexico or Asian country. I, uh, you know, I never heard animation from them. So like, I will just say this one movie I seen on this festival, like that blow me away. It's Angel in the Clock. I seen, I think like three years ago. A example of a movie I didn't know exists by a studio. So the studio that make this movie, the people who made the movie, they work with like terminally ill children who have cancer, who have leukemia. And the movie is about a sick girl who want to teach ballet, but she faints during one of the lessons. And, you know, her mom is trying to explain to her death. And to me, it was already, like, shocking because this movie has, like, very cutesy animation in, like, style of My Little Pony, you know, the des- designs are, like, very cutesy, very saccharine, but, like, it's a very good animation. It's, like, cinematic quality. And so the story is that the mother is trying to explain to her what death is. And I'm like... Jesus Christ, this movie is like target to like very little children, you know, and, but the idea is that the mother is talking about the daughter that, you know, you will die soon, but the daughter interprets that, oh, the mother will die. And so she starts uh, stopping all the clocks in the house because she, because she's like six. So she believes that, oh, if I will stop all the clocks, you know, time will stop. And from one of the clocks, uh, an angel comes out, which is like her guardian angel, but he's done in this very, psychedelic way so he's not like a standard angel he actually looks more like if you remember in justice league the amazon amazon character the android he looks like that only he has wings but he's like this golden and he's like actually very playful very like childlike but he doesn't speak and he takes her to this land between like time and space and there's like a room where there is all her time as this flying goo and she meets a demon who basically tells her you know if you give me all your time I will make you, you know, you can give me all your time so you will have no time. So he's like, oh, this will stop time. So she gives him away, away. And turns out that because she gives him away all her time, she will never will be born. <laughs> That's fucking dark. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the movie is her going on a quest to, in this steampunk land to rescue her own time, you know, so she can be born. And she, she is joined by those two little fairies. One is named here, the other is named now, who are like comic relief. And I first, when I was watching this movie, I found them a little bit annoying, but there's actually a point to those characters, why they are the way they are. So even by their name, you can hear and now, you know, and they are trying yeah. to be funny all the time and be comic relief. And this movie, for a movie for like little kids who, like, I would say that half of this movie is like a, this very simple, generic, Wizard of Oz style adventure, but it's like purposely like this. So the other part is like really hard, you know, and like, I was just like blown away. Like, wow, you know, this is a type of movie we don't get, at least in Poland, in theaters, you know, and this is something Mexico made. And later there was like a Q&A with the creators and they were like, oh, and now we are making another movie. It's about Down Syndrome. It actually will have like a Down Syndrome actor to voice the main character. It's like, Wow, and you're making movies like that for general audience, you know, that's like, that's incredible, you know? That sounds great. That's the thing, uh, the animation can be done to be, to do anything. Like, there's there's, there's no real topic that animation cannot be used 
to talk about in some creative way. It's part of its its charm. A lot of people don't give it enough credit for that. So yeah, this is why I love this festival because you will get gems like this, like from France, you know, from Japan. Obviously, you will get like, you know, Miyazaki movies or Pixar movies and, you know, just general, you know, audience movies there. But you also, again, and there will get something, obviously, there stuff like from Cartoon Saloon, you know, etc. It's fascinating to know I, that this existed for as long as it did, and I had no idea. But let's move on to The Little Nicholas, uh, which is based on a very popular book series. This is a fr- French animated movie. And again, it's impossible not to talk about this movie without talking about its creator. And the book series in general, Little Nicholas is in at least France and in Poland, interestingly enough, like a stable of like children literature. Those books were created by René Goscinny and this other, and this artist Sempe. Goscinny is, he's like the Walt Disney of France. And this is not something I throw out as to be nice. It's actually a title he had when he was still alive because he is the most known as the creator of Asterix, the girl which is like the biggest, you know, it's basically Mickey Mouse of France. It is a super popular. They make stuff about him even here. I mean, Asterix, uh, from what I understand, he wasn't recognizable in America t- till like recently, from what I learned. There were still plenty of things that were made about Asterix that still had ways of making it here. A lot of them tended to be, for some reason, video game related, to be honest. So Asterix became like this. He obviously created like Asterix, which became French biggest franchise. But, you know, he also worked on dozens of other comic books, all became like classics, like... He was writer for this series Lucky Luke, obviously, and few others. But aside for making comic books, he actually started working. He, he, well, he started doing because he was living in America for a while. Uh, his first job was it in Mad Magazine. He was writer for that for some time, an illustrator. And when he came back to France, uh, you know, he started his own magazine, which became like at the time in the 60s, like this big phenomenal magazine, Pilot. And uh, after that, you know, because Asterix was such a gigantic hit, he also had like with Little Nicholas books, which I get into in a moment. He became like this big personality. He started working as a producer for movies and uh, he opened his own animation studio. There was a period where he was this really big personality in France, you know. He was on the TV all the time, you know, different special. I think for some time he was also like a radio host. And Goscinny, he was becoming, by the way, also he was Goscinny because in Poland, his parents were from Poland, or at least mother or father, oh, okay. one of them. So, so it's actually, it's funny because people always in Poland say his name Goscinny, which is like our pronunciation of it. But yeah, in France, uh, he, he was Goscinny. And uh, so he was like becoming, becoming again, like very popular Walt Disney of France and then sadly died of heart attack to put some dark humor into it. I was watching a documentary about him at one point and the guy narrating it goes, Oh, at age of this and this, Gosin made his worst joke. He died of heart attack during, uh, like, a heart checkup. So he was at the doctor. He was getting a heart. It's actually a true story. <laughs> he was getting a heart checkup and he died of heart attack during it. And I was like, oh, you know, this joke is in bad taste, you know. But later I read, like, an interview with his daughter. And she made, like, a similar crack about it. And she was like, you know, he had a sense of humor. He had a sense of irony. He probably, if he was going to wait, he was going out, you know, it would have some punchline to it. Goscinny was one of the greatest, like, considered one of the greatest comedy writers as far as comic books goes. And also, he, again, made for animated movies. For like, I think he made a few live-action movies with his scripts. So when he teamed up with this artist, Sempe, who, uh, again, he also did like some career in America, outside of France. I know that he did 
a lot of covers for New Yorker at some point. His art style is very black and white. It's very in the vein of those New Yorker cartoons. Okay, yeah, I, I'm, I just looked it up and yeah, it's very distinct. Yeah, and so uh, they created Little Nicholas and... Uh, Little Nicholas uh, is actually it's interesting in the sense that they are very simple stories. It's just the life of this little boy. And they aren't like stories that try to have like moral messages. You know, it's just this little boy telling about his everyday life. And either are stories about him hanging out with his father and mother or who argue all the time and uh, or just with his friends, you know. And what was really cool about those uh, stories, what I appreciate about them is that I always joke that they are just a bunch of stories about kids beating the shit out of each other because uh, so much... Well, that's just life with kids. Kids kids love fighting. Because then Nicholas, he's always the narrator of the stories. So the way those stories often told is like, oh, we were like playing ball with my friends, you know, and then my friend says, oh, my dad says it's like this. And my other friend said, no, 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 my dad know better because he's a policeman. So he can arrest your dad. So he know better. And this other boy said, no, but my dad is richer than your dad, so he know better because he can bribe your dad, you know, so, and they start fighting, fighting, and literally, uh, Nicholas will go, and then he punched him in the nose, and we all start fighting, and we got into this fight, and I came home to, with black eye, you know, and, but what's great about those stories is, yeah, they are just kids beating each other, but it's always like this very cheerful, like, yeah, and we just, you know, started kicking, you know, and... We just started beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, exactly. You, you had to be there, though. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and it's like this type of humor, and... So did the movie itself have that type of humor as well, or is that just, like, the book itself? Also, this is the third movie? Fourth. Is that correct? Fourth, but Fourth it's movie? the first animated. For whatever the reason, because Sempe has such a beautiful art style... All those years, there was never like a, what felt like a proper adaptation, because either they make live action movies with those characters, which personally I like the first live action movie, just because the kids in it were like, you know, very charismatic and I didn't like the car- actors playing the parents. The second movie is just uh, him going on vacation with the parents, so you can guess what the problem is, which <laughs> the second is not yeah. good. And, but what was strange is that they made animated show, it was all CGI. It was very different art style from the books. So, you know, it's, it just felt like, you know, you have this art style, beautiful art style handed to you and you are not taking advantage of it. That's strange. This movie, it's completely made in Sempe's art style. It's, it's such a strange thing to say, but it looks a little bit like a Red Bull commercial at points, but like a beautiful Red Bull commercial. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing about his art style being so distinct is that there's some, some people have clearly have gotten their inspirations from it. But the movie is actually almost like two movies tied together. So the first half of the movie, I would say, is the book. And the other half of the movie is the story of the creators. The movie is how Sempe and Goscinny, you know, decided to collaborate, make this book together. Like, okay, I will make the, the story, you will make the art. What's interesting about this part of the movie, so the way the movie starts, because, you know, you have those two guys, they meet. Uh, one is very confident, you know, maybe almost comes off as a little bit smug at the moment, Gossini, the way they present him, he's always like sitting relaxed with a glass in his uh, hand and he has like this really big, big uh, apartment, you know, that's almost feels like some castle <laughs> actually at points because he has like this very rich, beautiful furniture. And Sempe, he's presented as this guy who's like, very down on his luck, he's always in a hurry, he's a little bit clumsy, you know, he's much more flawed 
Kai. And, you know, they decided, oh, let's collaborate. You know, I have this, made those drawings of this little boy. Let's write a story for me about them. And so they start, start working on it. And the movie flip-slops between the stories and their lives. The way that, again, the movie starts, you think that there will be like some story between them that, oh, at some point there will be like a breakout. You know, maybe they get into a fight. Or, you know, maybe one will be taking all the spotlight. I'm sorry to say that, but if you don't know the history of those guys, you're almost expecting Gossini to pull up Bob Kane and, and Sempe at some point, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, like, they almost, again, presenting Gossini as this overconfident guy, like, one of the first scenes is them, Sempe, oh, I have this idea for his parents, there will be this royalty, and he's like, no, 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 that's a bad idea, do it like this. Okay, okay, whatever you say, you are a genius, you know? So, uh, uh, so they, they start out this relationship, but actually, the movie doesn't have any story like this, which is one of maybe few flaws is that you expecting this to have like a, their story, you know, part of the movie to have like a story. And it's just yeah. more of them, you know, writing those stories and little Nicholas appearing as this imaginary friend, this little character that just comes to them and talk to them because it starts like, oh, you know, I, I, I don't have an idea how to start this new chapter oh, little Nicholas, come to me and tell me about your life and I will write that. And the more they talk with him, the more they start sharing their own stories with him about their lives. Like Gossini tells the story how because his family was Jewish, they have to escape to Ar- Argentina and he has to sp- spend his childhood there. And like uh, Sempe tells the story how he was in the army, you know. So they are telling all those stories and because at first I was thinking like, oh, maybe those stories will somehow reflect how the little Nicolas stories were made, like something very personal there. And it's actually felt the other way around where those stories were more like escapism to them. The world you're describing is really fascinating to me because usually when somebody makes an adaptation of something, it is just it's just an adaptation or something. It's something that's very straightforward, like Peanuts, basically. Like when they did the Peanuts, that Peanuts movie, it is a very straightforward story that had a lot of, you know, homage to the original art style. But what you're explaining is very interesting because it's like a half biography and the creator talking to their own creations and their creations talking back to them, which is interesting in a way. <laughs> but I don't know the general what a general audience would think about something like that. Like I would find that fascinating, not knowing anything about these people uh, so that's like the half of the movie and again by the way i because uh, little nicholas is something that's very targeted to children i was actually surprised that at one point they show nazi flag in this movie because he's talking about like Uh-oh. holocaust because his family was jewish so okay i didn't expect this this to be yeah you can't really avoid that at that point <laughs> yeah but you know even the title because the english title is uh, little Nicholas, uh, happy as can be, something like this. Which is a nice title, yeah. It can't just be Little Nicholas in the time I have fled to Argentina. <laughs> yeah, but the original title translates something like Little Nicholas, what wanting for to be happy, something more like this. Okay. Waiting for to be happy. That is a much more interesting title. So that's one half of the movie, okay? And the that's other one half, half of the movie. <laughs> I mean, because they flip flop between the book. And, you know, their story. And their stories have like this, I don't want to say richer animation, but, you know, the, it's told in a way that's very cinematic. You know, the backgrounds are very colorful. You know, it's very full animation. But the stories are done in this, it's the same art style, but it's stylistic different. I don't know, do you see in the movie Illusionist from Chomet, the, the French, the guy who made Triplets of Belleville? I can't say I have seen that one. Okay. So much like in that movie, there are a lot of scenes that are just one big shot. So you will... Uh-huh. You like really gets a close up of something. It's always like a, happening in one big shot. The way it's drawn is that 
it's almost like you're watching drawing and a piece of paper. So you only will have some of the drawings in the middle with some colors and everything around is white space. And those characters move yeah. up. You understand what I'm saying, yes? No, absolutely. Am. Yeah. Every time characters enter the frame, they are black and white and they slowly become colorful every time they enter the frame. But when they exit the frame, not only the color disappear, but they like dissolve. So they do little, you know, artsy stuff like this. Because, for example, and they actually, you know, play with this a little bit because the, one of the first scenes with little Nicholas, his mom, like looking for something. So she constantly leaving the room and going back. And you like get a hold of this effect that, oh, every time she enters the frame, the colors appear on her. And every time she exits, she like dissolves. So they're getting used to, to all those stylistic things. And so in those stories, they play a lot of with form. And I have to say, the movie uses at least like 10 stories from the book. And they are all like very short stories. You know how I told you, like one just story is that his dad buy a TV and they just spending time arguing when to put the TV in what part of the room. Of course, the things, the first thing he do is that he goes with the TV to his neighbor just to show it off. So there is like at least 10 stories from the book. They are perfect adaptation and they are funny as hell. I didn't laugh out loud so loud, you know, because it's like a very clean humor. Again, if you don't yeah. mind that kids are beating the shit out of each other all the time and I kind of love that that's like the worst way of explaining the story. <laughs> yeah, but 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 it's but it's like wholesome at the same time. Even there is like a one story where his mom just brings in her friend and he has Nicholas has to spend time with her daughter and like just the moment the parents leave the room they just start arguing and he just slaps the girl and she just hit her with her head in his uh, you know and it's it's but they also play with the form a lot like at one point she goes oh i will tell a new and my mom to my mom a new and we see like this in comic book bubble you know appear and she actually jump yeah. into the bubble and runs to her mom in the speech you know in the bubble and the mom from the speech bubble you know yells at the nicolas so, so, so they, they will play with forms like this. I was actually a little bit sad that I don't know how to explain it, but I just know that, oh, this will be the last story in the movie they will show. And I was just like, oh, it's over already. Oh, because I was just so more, more of them. And again, it's very episodic. It's uh, strangely enough made me think of many adventures of Winnie the Pooh by Disney. Those real simple short stories. You have one where he goes on the holiday. You have the one when the grandpa, grandma comes over and is spoiling him. There is the one when he and his best friend skip school. Uh, but there is just one where there is like a, this big pile of sand and he just, and his friends just playing in this sand and everybody is doing something different. They just start fighting. By the way, one thing that today is, isn't politically correct that I'm oddly enough glad that they left is that he has this one friend who is like this kid in glasses and for some reason everybody in school picks on him always and they left the scene that, but the kid is like, he's very much like brainy smurf, you know, he's just this, oh, I will oh, tell on yeah. you, you know, he's this smart, smart guy, but, but I know that in live action movies, they, change his character because it's just today sounds strange that oh this, this guy we hate him you know well yeah that's the thing i i bring that up to a lot of people uh, when i used to tell people well, i wasn't i was worried about having glasses and people were like why is it because there's a time frame that people forget because it, it seems like forever ago now where if you had glasses uh people just made fun of you for that for some reason <laughs> <laughs> which is a very weird thing that like especially nowadays yeah but that just the idea that you know then there is like a just character whose entire character is that he's the nerdy kid everybody picks on but they present it in a way that's almost sweet like actually there is this almost friendship between them that oh yeah this is, you know 
and it's never it just never feel mean spirited. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's the thing about kids in general is a lot of kids will rip on each other, but at the end, there's there's some sweetness behind it. I'm not saying bully people, but I'm saying like friends tend to fuck with each other all the time. Yeah, exactly. It's more like this. It's just in the spirit of again, oh, we were hitting each other. It was so fun, you know. And how would you say the performances in the film were? You know, it was all in French, French with English subtitles, and as far I can tell French, it was really good. One actor who played Gossini, Shabbat, I think is his name, he actually previously did one of Asterix movies, because he's a director and an actor, but I don't know, for me, all the performances were good, and you know what's interesting also, I just want to, going back to the storytelling, is that... It's one thing for them to have this thing that, oh, you know, we are trying to think of new story and this little character comes in and we start talking with him and it dissolves into a story. But what's interesting is that sometimes the way they zoom from the stories to the real world, quote unquote, is that, for example, at one point, you know, you having this story, it's really funny, Nicholas and his parents, and then they will just sit down, watch TV, and on TV they will show Gossini and Sempe having an interview. It's like a, you can tell it's like they actually took like a actual interview, but put animation on them. Everything they said just felt like something from that period. Uh, real quick, so fun fact about Alan Shabat, the one that you mentioned. Apparently, he was in one of the Night at the Museum film movies. <laughs> I didn't know this. I didn't know that either because I was going through his IMDb because I was curious as to if he did anything that I would recognize. He's also uh, used to dub Shrek in French. Okay, so at least the French version has a very quality cast. And again, I, I mean, it's a movie, I think, that if you are a fan of the books and fan of Gossini works, because again, it's mainly focuses on his work at Little Nicholas, but goes like into his personal life as well, that do will appreciate it. But if you don't know nothing about this guy and Sempe, you know, you will re- learn a lot. Like, I know a lot of Gossini. I didn't know much about Sempe. Without giving anything away, the ending is like really touching. Actually, I cried at the end. And it's not like... Or like a big tearjerker of what happening. It's just like this little simple idea with just few sentences they tell and, oh, it's what this movie was all about, you know, and you know why it's important to create characters and go into storytelling. If I had to just criticize something about the movie. So this movie was written by Gossini's daughter and mm-hmm. Gossini, who's also a writer. And it's, it's actually a very well, again, very well written movie. You can tell that she has a lot of love. I sometimes have a sense that little Nicholas is like her favorite of her dad's work because in the new editions of the book, she always like a little bit, you know, forward for them always. And she's very passionate about them. But because she's writing them, I felt that Gossini in the movie, he's very romanticized version of himself. Yeah, that happens all the time with people who are very beloved. When you are watching the movie, you, you, you can just hear her going, oh, my papa, he was such a witty man, you know, he was always the smartest guy in the room. Because again, with Sempe, they always, they show a lot of his flaws, you know, he's always forgetful, he always late in time, you know, he's a little bit clumsy. And with Gostini, there is none of them, he's just like this perfect guy. And you know, maybe he was. No, that's definitely somebody who who had a very high opinion of somebody. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of when uh, Tom Hanks was Walt Disney, you're like, Walt Disney was just the nicest guy. I'm like, there's a lot of weird shit about Walt Disney a lot of people don't bring up. <laughs> No, actually, you nailed it. It was a little bit like that, the way they present him. And because I read about Gossini, because all I read about him were like nice things. The closest I get about people like waving fingers on him is that there was this one creator with who he was working with and they broke up. And the reason why they broke up is that because he did like some covers for some magazines that will have like pornographic elements. Like from adult mag, and Gossini was like, I don't want to be associated with you anymore. 
And, but even that, the story was like, he was nice about it. Like they have a dinner together. He was like, look, I have now this large brand, you know, I'm presenting me as this French uncle. So, you know, I, I just cannot, you know. And also there is this one weird thing about the movie. Throughout the movie, they show Asterix all the time, for example. Like Gossini has the Asterix figures on his desk, you know, they reference it in the dialogue a few times. At one point, Nicholas is playing and he actually dress up as Asterix, you know, so they make a lot of reference to Asterix. And at one point in the movie, they are naming all the people Gossini work with, like, oh, I met this guy, this guy, and they're showing them. And then they show him walking just down the street and the voiceover go, oh, and I also met Maurice and we create Lucky Look together. And they don't show the guy, they don't show the creation, you know, just like this, you know, afterthought. The way I figured it out, I actually read that Gossini's daughter and Mori, with who he worked on Lucky Look, after he died, they have some legal disputes. So I wouldn't just be surprised that it was like a matter of she doesn't like him, so she wanted not him in the movie. There can be other reasons, of course. Yeah. Or it could be a time thing. They probably had, He might have even been a bigger part of some of that. But it being basically about the specific character it wouldn't make any sense to keep bringing in all everybody you can mention them in passing if you if you feel like you should i'm glad that they at least did that because they could at least be like hey look he did other stuff yeah but it it just felt strange because they show all the other creators you know oh so they just don't they straight up just don't show him but they show like images of everybody else is what you're saying yeah. Oh, that's petty. That's what that is. <laughs> well, that that or they didn't have his like his permission. I don't know how laws work out there when it comes to that sort of thing. You just remind me where Chuck Jones made the first Bugs Bunny compilation movie, and at one point Bugs Bunny is showing all his creators. But because Chuck Jones didn't like Bob Clampett, Bob Clampett was like well, the only one omitted. You know, <laughs> so question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it just was the rights thing. It can go either way. That's that's the main issue with people who have died. Sometimes somebody would be like, I want to put them in there, but then somebody has to say yes or no to it. Like Prince is a good example of that. Like people would be like, I want to reference Prince. And they'll be like, the fuck you are. <laughs> you got to get past all of us before you can even say the word Prince. It's like, oh, okay, cool. So overall, what would you give Little Nicholas that you saw so far? At least this one was a complete one, right? No, no, it was a Finnish movie. Actually, it won award for the best movie of the festival, which I was really surprised. Just, I mean, I love it, but I was just thinking because I'm the fan of the book. I am fan of Gossini. You know, I was just thinking, okay, I may be reading too much into this movie because I love the, you know, love the guy and everybody who I talk with love it. They also got teary-eyed on the end and love the animation. If you're a fan of Little Nicola, because there were so many adaptations, I think, that screw up, you know, these, these, these characters and these stories that watching this being the made the way everybody for it imagine it should be. It's like a 10 out of yeah, 10. That's a really high praise. I can pick up few flaws, but they are like... Minor things like, again, like in the middle, there's like a musical number that comes out of nowhere, but it's still beautifully animated. It's almost, you can tell they felt, you know, this is halfway point. We have to have some type of musical number, but it didn't felt like in the story, it connects to anything. It's just out of nowhere, like Nicholas is sitting in some theater, theater and there are some jazz guys singing and he just, it's, this scene is actually in the trailer and he just, some butterflies appear for no reason. It's, Total big lip alligator moment, as some people like to say, you know, he just jumps to them, start dancing with them, and it becomes oh. like really psychedelic. But it was a cool number still, so I don't, I'm not complaining. It's really beautiful. It's really captured the spirit of those books. And I honestly wish that it was a little bit longer. And if it comes on a Blu-ray or DVD, if they would just make like a special bonus feature of like 20 minutes more of just shorts with those characters, you know, I, w- I wouldn't complain. And that's, that's always great for animation. Well, that's the review that we have for Little Nicholas itself so far. Uh, we will continue on with the next one.